Father in heaven, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for our family. Thank you for the fellowship that we have. Uh, again, uh, as I prayed earlier, a special prayer of thanks for my brother, Michael Keyes, and uh, just the 30-plus uh, years that we've been here in town and uh, all the relationships and all the sense of family that we've established in our church for so many years. And, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the opportunity you've given us all to grow and change and become more like Jesus. Father, sometimes our sins have been in areas where we were obviously wrong. And, uh, Father, at other times our sins have been hidden from us and, and you revealed them later. But we thank you for your mercy and your grace that you've allowed us to take this journey through life together. Thank you for bringing us together at this point in time in the West Side Church. Thank you for uh, our entire family. It's uh, great to have uh, Stephen Carey back. And, uh, Father, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. Be with us tonight. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Help us to do our best to be faithful to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. Oh, I only muted for a second. Okay, good. <laughs> I didn't know. That's funny. Uh, in any event, uh, it's great to see everybody, even online here. Uh, I'm going to share my screen with you, so bear with me. I'm uh, getting used to this new technology. So I'm sharing my screen, and you should be able to see um, just kind of a, what we're planning on this evening. We've got just a few slides that I'm going to share, and not everyone else will We'll have slides tonight. I'm going to uh, bear with me here a sec with my technology. There we go. I'm going to go through uh, just uh, some very brief comments in the opening, and then Kenny's going to give an update from the Kingdom Inclusion Team. Uh, Rick and Lola will uh, do the lesson together this evening and, and lead our minds. Uh, John Thorne will do the close, and then we'll have some discussion groups at the end. So that's our plan for tonight. And uh, just prayed a little bit ago. And so I wanted to talk a little bit to the group. And my brothers and sisters in the Kingdom Inclusion team, they've been really awesome. And uh, we work together really well. I want you guys to know it's a discipling group. I mean, we, we talk to one another and we help each other grow spiritually. And it's, it's been a really good time. And uh, I want you to know that what you see in coming from us individually is things that we're talking about collectively. And we're really working hard to make sure that we do our best to meet the needs of the church. Um, overall, brothers and sisters, I'm really pleased with the progress that we're making as a congregation. Um, we're moving forward together. Uh, the kit, the Kingdom Inclusion Team, we've talked to many of you and we've heard from others uh, through the forum. Overall, you know, brothers and sisters, it's, it's been challenging, but we're moving in the right direction. Um, and, and it's been really great. And, and I'm encouraged by that. Overwhelmingly, the conversations, some of them have been painful because we're starting to get into things that are in our hearts and we're collectively and individually trying to wrestle through those things. And there's been some pain that has come out. Uh, but by and large, our conversations have been really constructive. And it's been great. And I'm proud of you guys, my brothers and sisters. And I want you to know that from my personal perspective, uh, and I, I can think I can speak for the kid. I think we as a congregation are moving forward uh, in a healthy way, uh, which we're really excited about. Still, there are a couple things I've become aware of that I, I did feel the need uh, to address uh, just uh, with the body. And I 
my brothers and sisters and the, and the kit team, with, they were gracious enough to, uh, to allow me to share uh, a few things that were on my heart that I did feel the need to address. But again, I want to reiterate, overall, brothers and sisters, I feel that we're, we're doing the kind of things we need to do. We're having the congregation, the conversations we need to have. And although painful, we're hanging together uh, as a family in Christ, as we should. So what I want to do is put a biblical foundation on what we've been doing in the kid. And there are a lot of scriptures I could use. These are just a few I chose for tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, the Bible says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Of course, if I were going to take one Bible with one book in the Bible with me and go to a desert island, I can only choose one. I choose Ephesians. That, that's, that's one of my favorite books. And this scripture really frames how we should view and treat each other and the lens through which we need to look at each other. We've got to be humble, gentle, patient, and bear with one another. We've got to remember we're one. We're one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. It's really important that we remember as we go through challenging times that the Bible calls us to be one and to be together and remain together as we do these things. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, for me personally, as a black man, there are a lot of injustices I've suffered over the years that I could be really angry about. And I am really angry about some things. I'm, I'm hurt about some things. Um, and that's me being honest. You know, the Bible says, put off falsehood, speak truthfully. I'm being honest. I'm speaking truthful. But in speaking truthfully, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin against my brothers and sisters. I don't want to injure anybody. I want to keep it real, though. I got to be able to keep it real, but also do my best to love my brothers and sisters. So what I want to encourage us all to do, as we have very real conversations in our congregation, we got to keep it real. But we also have to do our best not to sin. I know that's a high calling. You will see me fail in that effort sometimes. Uh, pray for me. I know some of you will fail in that effort. I will pray for you. But together, we've got to really work to be one. And I, I know there have been a few situations where uh, maybe it got a little challenging. I think social media sometimes can be a bit of a trap. I just encourage you to be wise about how you manage it. Um, but nonetheless, we're a family. We've got to keep it real and be honest, uh, but we have to love one another too. So I want to give a spiritual lens on inclusion. We've been talking about this inclusion thing, and I want to put it in a spiritual frame. And again, there are other passages we could use, but here's a spiritual frame for it. This is from Acts chapter 28. The context is Paul is in Rome and in jail, and the Roman Jews come to Paul, and they wanted to know about Christianity because they heard different things. And so Paul kind of broke it down for him, told about Jesus Christ crucified, raised from the dead, had a dialogue with him. So Paul is wrapping up his remarks, and we'll begin in verse 25. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave, 
after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and I would turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And, and what Paul was basically telling them is, look, you guys don't see this because you missed it. Your heart's been hard. You're not hearing. You're not seeing. And if your heart wasn't hard and your eyes were open, you, you would be able to hear these things. See, there was disunity in the church, and there was a lack of inclusion. The Jews felt they were better than the Gentiles, and they had, dare we say, a racial divide. Those divides are as old as the scriptures. What we're experiencing is nothing new. What's new is it's out in the open, and we're talking about it, and that's uncomfortable. But we've got to continue to have these conversations with a spiritual lens and looking at a biblical perspective on what it means to include people and have a dialogue around issues that are really challenging. Racism is a spiritual issue. It is hatred and a lack of love. It is not a political issue, or there can be a political issue, but it is a spiritual issue. Racism is a spiritual issue. It's hatred and a lack of love. Systemic racism is a spiritual issue. It is from callousness and hard-heartedness, a lack of love, just didn't see it, maybe good intentions, didn't see it, maybe didn't want to see it. It's the same kind of systemic racism issue we deal with today that the early church grappled with in dealing with Jews and Gentiles, where you had Jews with 2,000 years of being Jews, all of a sudden now they got to deal with these Gentiles. These are spiritual issues, brothers and sisters. And yes, unconscious bias is also a spiritual issue. It's a dullness. It's a spiritual blindness. It's a lack of love. It's the sin that Kenzie talked about in his lesson where he pointed out the prophet gave King David an analogy of someone who had done wrong. And David got really angry, not realizing that the prophet was talking about him. He didn't see it. And finally, the prophet said, you're the man. And then the lights went on and David could see it. So based on some of the things I've heard, I felt the need to kind of frame these things. These are spiritual issues we're dealing with. We are not having a political argument. We are dealing with spiritual issues to try to move forward as one body and one church, taking into account the needs of all. I'm going to pray one more time and then we'll have Kenny come forward and um, talk give you a message from the Kenyan Inclusion Center. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for my brothers and sisters again. I just pray we can find ways to be unified, to be vulnerable, to be open, to have these kind of conversations, to remain spiritual as we have them, to speak the truth in love, to view things spiritually, and to help one another grow. Thank you again for my wonderful family known as the West Side Church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Kenny, yep. Let me stop sharing my screen. All right. Uh, Kenny, are you able to? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. You guys hear me? Awesome. Well, 
Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Kenny Zuchuku. For those of you who made this, be, made this be your first or second time, I uh, helped lead the campus to industry here on the west side. And grateful to give you an update on the Kingdom Inclusion team. Uh, first and foremost, just like Chuck was hitting on, our goal as a team is to promote unity and spiritual maturity in the church, specifically through teaching, training, and providing recommendations to church staff and a congregation. Uh, that's what we've been doing each week for midweeks, um, particularly more of the teaching. And as we've been spending more time discussing, we're figuring out how are we going to um, establish training a training regimen so that this can this conversation can continue and we can see it we can see it through uh, for more than just a few weeks of midweek teachings. Um, because of that, we have and we're working on a survey. We mentioned this last week. We want to make it right. We don't want to just throw it out too quickly. So we are taking our time to develop it and we're asking feedback from many of you on uh, some of the questions, things that we are going to look for and things we want to uh, just figure out. So please be patient with us. We should have it next week by Wednesday. And we're going we're gonna to ask everyone to participate because the more data we have, the better sample we can get in understanding how we can uh, provide the training needed and more of the teaching and also the recommendations for the church and to the congregation. Also, we've sent, sent out a kit, a kit feedback form. It's, a, it's in the form of a Google form, and we've see, we received many responses from it with great feedback from many of you. And I had a great conversation the other day with Francine. We, uh, we talked about black leadership in the church and the higher levels of leadership. So if you have anything on your mind or you feel like there's anything you, you want to contribute, please fill out the form. We can send it out in the chat and it also will be sent out in emails, but please fill out the form and let us know what you're thinking. That also helps us get some more information and we will continually reach out to you all and provide our responses and give you more of an update on what we're doing. Lastly, and something that I'm really excited about, we added a few new members to the team. I know many of you have been waiting for this. So I don't know if we have a slide or you can, I mean, we can highlight them or spotlight them maybe, but the three new members are Brianna Newsom. She just, there you go. That's nice. That's a good transition. Oh, Steve, you've gotten so much better at this. Brianna Newsom, um, she recently graduated from UCLA, and I believe you're going to start your master's program, right, at UCLA. Correct? Am I making nice? Next, Vasquez, he is uh, senior, and he will be a senior this fall at Pepperdine University. Um, there he is, moving around, always ready to go. Um, so thank you for joining. And then lastly, we have uh, the GOAT, Patricia Butts. She is a seasoned veteran that everyone wants, and she has joined the team and has come in strong. So there's Patricia. Awesome. So that's all the updates I have for today. Thank you again. And please remember that our goal is to promote unity and spiritual maturity in the church uh, through teaching, training, and providing recommendations. So thank you guys. Love you. And we'll pass it on now to Lola and Rick. Well, good evening, family. Uh, super grateful to be with you and uh, very thankful to see everybody. I'm going to do something very unprecedented tonight is I'm not going to share a slideshow at all. And the reason why is I want to see your faces. 
I'm going to see as many of these as I can because I want to just kind of imagine as we're talking today, like we're sitting at a dinner table because there's nothing more that I want to do right now than just sit together and have a meal with my family. I miss you guys a lot, and I love you a lot, and I've, I've kind of longed to be together, and this, this quarantine time has been really challenging for me, and uh, there's so much I would give just to be able to go back to church again. And as much as I hate the vets, I can't wait to get back in the vets. I can't wait to get my, my, my you know, patented James Russell bear hug at the front door and uh, newbies like rib cage separating from spinal cord kind of hug and, and just to see everybody and be together and sing and just be family again. You know, I know we're all facing a lot of challenges right now. This is a really hard time. It's a very stressful time. Some of us are dealing with financial issues and, and job loss, and some of us are dealing with just mental health issues and just all the stress and fear of everything going on and being locked up at home and not being able to do the things that are normal in life. We're all suffering loss from that. Some of us are dealing with health issues in ourselves, our families, parenting things, marriage things. My wife right now is on an airplane flying to Sacramento. About an hour ago, I dropped her off at the airport. Um, about two hours ago, we got the word that her mom had a major stroke today. So she's flying to Sacramento right now to be with her family, and I'm going to drive up there tomorrow, um, tomorrow morning. I'm gonna, as soon as we're done tonight, I'm going to start packing the car, getting things fixed and ready, and I'm going to go join her. It's a hard time. So I want to encourage all of us in the very beginning to fix our eyes on Jesus so we will not grow weary and lose heart. In our conversations about race and justice lately, it's not, again, like what Chuck was saying, it's not a social issue. What we're talking about is loving one another the way Jesus has loved us. It's about becoming all things to all people. It's about suffering with those who suffer. I'll be honest tonight. Like Chuck kind of encourages keeping it real. I'll be honest. Talking about race is incredibly uncomfortable for me. I can feel the tension. I can feel the strong emotions. And, and so much of my flesh is tempted to just move on. Like, let's... Can we do something else? Like this is, it's negative, it's hard, it's, 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 I don't want to go to church for that. Like all of these feelings come up and the reality where those things come from is I just want to be comfortable. Just selfish. In my core, that's where that's coming from. I'm being selfish. You know, suffering and trials, this is when our hearts and our characters transform into the image of Christ. This is when we start to change to become more like him. I hate this conversation, but I need this conversation. We all need this conversation. We have as a church to our shame neglected this conversation for far too long. Like Chuck was saying, it's not about politics or some worldly agenda. This is about our black brothers and sisters in particular. And all those who are marginalized in the world who suffer daily. The consequences of racial bias and prejudice and inequity and the challenge of being black in a white advantage and dominant culture. There's an added burden and struggle that our brothers and sisters of color face that I must understand if I'm going to help to carry that burden. If it matters to them, it has to matter to me. It's funny that Chuck started his uh, kind of intro there with Ephesians 4. Because that's the verse that's been standing out to me the most lately, and this verse that just keeps spinning in my head Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 3, I, I love that part. Where he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort 
to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's the goal, isn't it? I mean, to live a life worthy of the calling I've received. To use my life and my days on earth to bring honor to God, to somehow pay him back for what he's given to me. I'm so blessed. Just knowing him, I'm so blessed. To bring him honor and to love others. That's what it means, right? To live a life worthy of that calling. I want that more than anything. But then it's coupled with that challenge to be completely humble. Not a little humble, completely humble. I've never been able to do that. But my goal is to become like Jesus, and hopefully that's all of our goals, is to be just like Christ. There was no one more humble than him. Then I have to care more about the interests and needs of others than of my own. That I need to be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of being united with them and understanding what they're going through. My opinion, my desires in comparison, they're just not that important. I've got to be completely gentle. I've got to be approachable. I've got to be open to correction. I've got to be open to discipling. I've got to be slow to speak, and I've got to be quick to listen. I've got to be completely patient. It's the first and hardest quality of love in 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? To meet people where they're at and accept them just as they are. I've got to be willing to bear with everyone in love. Can't get frustrated. Can't get irritated. Can't shut people out. Can't give up on somebody. Even if they're sinning, especially when they're sinning, I need to bear with them in love. And you make every effort to keep the unity. Every effort. That was Jesus' big prayer for us in John 17, right? His prayer for us that we would be one with him and one with each other because the world doesn't understand that. And that's how the world would see it. When the world could see how we could be one, even though we're so different from each other in our backgrounds and our races and our cultures, that we could still be one because we share him in common. That when we can do that, the world would see it. And the world would know who God is, and they would know who our King Jesus is. I've got to make every effort to keep that. Tonight, my goal is just to share what's been going on in my life. I'm going to kind of use myself as a case study for you. Share the things that have been working in my heart, which I believe God has been working in my heart. This has been going on for about a year now. Not just the last few weeks, but the last few weeks have kind of picked up the pace. The first thing I've had to do in all of this is I have to examine my own heart. And for many of us, that's where we have to start. We're not sure what to do. Just examine your own heart. I don't presume to speak on behalf of anyone else. I'm not the white spokesperson. I'm only speaking for myself. But I want to share with you how God's been transforming me into the likeness of his son, I believe, over the past several months. Now, I want you to listen, and I want you to see if anything I say rings true to you. That can help you towards that same goal of living a life worthy. I know there's some confusion in the Wakanda household, but I am actually white. Raised by white parents and raised and socialized in a very white, dominated and white structured culture. And as hard as it is to say, and I'm telling you, this is really hard for me to say. I'm a recovering racist. I can't sugarcoat that, that. That's the reality. I don't like it. I don't want to say it. I don't even want to believe it's true. But from everything that I'm learning, I don't know how else to say it. 
And it's so hard to say, but it's important for me to, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to change, I have to recognize the things in me that are not like Christ. So I can submit them to him and change them. There's sin in me, that's, whether it's intentional or not, like Chuck was even saying, it doesn't matter. I, I'm not intentionally racist, but there are things that I do, things that I believe that go that direction without question. We hate using that word racist because that word carries so much weight. It's one of the most evil words we can think of. And even like Kenzie shared last week, as he was kind of going through this idea, this kind of good, bad binary, I, I have fallen into that trap so many times. I believe that trap, that, that, that races are bigots. Now, when I picture a racist, I'm thinking, you know, somebody who's like a KKK member, they got Confederate flags or a neo-Nazi, they're overtly racist. I'm not that. I'm not bigoted. I've never been a bigot. I've never been like that to anybody. That's what we want to believe, and, and so everybody else is just good. So I'm not like that, so I must be good. I can't possibly be racist. Conflict, though, for me is reconciling my own self-image, the way I see myself, the things I believe about myself to be true, that I'm a good-hearted man, that I'm loving, that I've got great friends of, of every race and background you can think of. In fact, my very best friend, the one who helped me know Jesus, the father of my faith, the one who's the best man at my wedding, I was the best man at his wedding. We were in the hospital for each other when we had children. Our, our sons are roommates to this day. We're still best friends. He's black, so I can't possibly be a racist. I've been a disciple for 30 years in a beautiful and diverse kingdom uh, with people I dearly love of every race that I call my brothers and sisters. So I can justify it in my head all the time. I can kind of convince myself, no, no, this isn't me. This isn't in me. And these are all the reasons why. Here's all the evidence why. But what I've learned about myself in this time, especially this last year, is I may not be a bigot, but there are racist biases in my heart because my love has been incomplete. And that's what I see. I see an incomplete love for people in our church. And here's what I mean. Besides examining my heart, I've had some very uncomfortable conversations. And for many of us, that's what we need to do. We hate them. We want to avoid them at all costs. I've been in a lot of them. They're very uncomfortable. But I've learned so much about myself through them. The first big uncomfortable conversation happened about a year ago when I was in Dallas. Uh, I was there with the Shumps and my wife, and we were there uh, having kind of an elders retreat. It was really amazing. But one day we sat down. I think this is totally the spirit. Mark and I sat down with a black uh, elder from Texas. And this is right after Nipsey had died, and there had been some other things in the news, that some really horrific uh, racial injustices happening. And he sat us down. We're just talking and chatting and stuff. And then he asked us, he's like, have you ever asked your black brothers and sisters how they felt about these things happening in the world? And I remember staring at him. I was kind of like, it hadn't even dawned on me. I was kind of shocked. I, as I didn't know how to respond to him, I was like, I had to be honest, no, I, I haven't had that conversation. And he challenged us, and he challenged me, that I was being unloving. And that shook me, because that's so against how I view myself and how I try to live my life. And to think for a moment, I'm, I'm a Christian man, I, of course I'm loving. And for him to say you're unloving to them, 
in this area. Am I a racist? Like I was feeling, what, 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 what does that mean? How do I reconcile that in my own head? Because to be honest, if your kid is in the hospital, I will be there any day or night. If you need food, I'll bring it to you. I'm on my way. If you need help in your marriage or with your parenting, call me anytime. Those things, it's easy for me. I'm, I'm all in for anybody. But I hadn't engaged in this level, this type of conversation with our black brothers and sisters. I hadn't even gone there. Not too long after that, Dr. Barnett came out to speak uh, to our region. He did an amazing job. And, and in his lesson, of course, he was challenging us to talk to people about their story. I already have this first conversation spinning in my head, feeling a lot about that. Then he says this, so I began to. And I sat down with many different friends that I've had for many, many years who are black, and I asked them about their experience being black in America. What have they been through? The things I heard, the pain and suffering that they had gone through, and these, these milestone moments, these these determining moments in their life that I knew nothing about. And these are people I've been friends with for years. I would consider them very close friends. We've been in each other's houses and we've kind of raised kids together or just been a lot of time together. Like I'm going, how have I not known this? And I was so convicted that such a major part of their life experience, of their experience walking this earth, I knew nothing about. I was so convicted by my lack of love. The Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. The Bible says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. How can I carry my brother's burden if I don't even know what it is? If I don't even take the time to ask about it, to understand it? If I'm going to carry their burden, that's not a one-time conversation. That means I'm going to find out about it, and I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to help them carry it, and we're going to share life together. That's what it means, and that's what I was not doing. I've got to be committed and devoted to being there for life, good, bad, even racial injustice, all of it. Then recently with the death of George Floyd, I remember again just like this kind of next layer of my heart coming off, trying to figure out like what is happening? I was so disheartened. I was so heartbroken by the news. But it was more like I just felt hopeless for humanity. I just felt like, I mean, what is wrong with our world? Why is this so dark? Like Jesus come back already. Like this is, it's so sad. But I remember at that time just kind of like getting more and more like, kind of puzzled, like, how does this happen? Like, how is this still happening? How does, you know, this systemic racism, like, how does it work? Like, I see the end product. I'm seeing the end product, no problem. But how does it stay in there? How does it keep going? And I started asking these questions, and, and what's kind of keeping it together? And, and, and I realized that this is not the responsibility of my brothers and sisters who happen to be black. It is not their responsibility to educate me. I have to own that. I have to educate myself. And so I began. I started reading books and watching videos. and Anything anybody would give me, I would just devour it. Because I wanted to understand what's happening here. Why is this still there? 
It's so insidious. That's what I learned. It's so subtle. It's so nuanced. It's so hidden. The more I read, the more I was shocked. I was frustrated. I was angry. And I was so mad at myself. Like, I'm so ignorant. How have I not known this? How could I be so naive? How can I just believe this white narrative that I've been socialized in? I just accept it. This is how it is. I have a master's degree. I went to a prestigious, diverse liberal arts college. I mean, Obama went to the same college. Like, you would think I would know something, right? I've been a teacher for two decades in urban schools and very diverse student populations. And in all my education, all my life experience, I never realized how white-centric and false my view of history had been. My eyes were opening up to this, and you know, I just felt so naive, and I felt so ignorant that my, my view of, uh, of racism was so childish. It was, you know, Lincoln ended slavery, and then MLK came later and kind of finished the job, and, and everybody lived happily ever after. Like that, I had this, such a, just a baby's like, view of it. And I remember just kind of like, I'm colorblind, like kind of buying into that. Like, oh, it's colorblind. Like, race doesn't matter. And if you remember last week when Kenzie showed that kind of spectrum of racism, colorblind was in the middle of it. And when I saw that, I was so convicted. I was like, man, I have bought into that. Like, race doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't see race. I don't see color. It doesn't matter, right? Well, it does for somebody who's black. And I just didn't understand that. As I was studying, I realized I'd never heard of things like the black codes and Jim Crow laws and redlining and unfair lending and insurance laws, making home ownership and the building of family wealth incredibly difficult. The seizing of black-owned property and businesses in the name of eminent domain. Inequalities in medical care, education, job opportunities, income, school-to-jail to pipeline, lack of equitable justice, racial profiling, discriminatory police policies, and on and on. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to educate yourself, too. Systemic racism is real. It's very real. And for the first time in 48 years, I'm starting to understand it. But not only that, I'm starting to understand the burden our black brothers and sisters endure on a daily basis. And to deny its existence or to pretend like it's not there or to not want to see it or know about it, it's so unloving. It's so selfish. And I'm so convicted. Because it denies their experience, it calls them liars. And then how can we be united? Let's be honest, life is hard, right? Jesus promised it would be. But I'm a white man in a white-dominated culture. I can go wherever I want. I can live anywhere I want. I can get a job anywhere I want. I never feel like people are nervous when I'm around. I never feel like people are watching me when I come in the store. I, I never fear the police rolling up on me. That's my white privilege. White privilege doesn't mean that, that my life's going to be easy, but it just means the color of my skin is not going to make it any harder. And our black brothers and sisters endure an added burden to their life. On top of life's already many challenges, this added burden of prejudice and discrimination they live with that makes their life more difficult and more challenging and more of a struggle that we have to understand. I have to understand, I have to acknowledge, and I have to support. Now, I want to take a moment just to highlight our older, more mature black men and women in our church. By older and more mature, I mean older than me. I'm in awe of you. I don't know how you did it. 
The more I learn, the more I understand, the more I'm in awe of you. The odds you've overcome, the suffering that you've gone through, and you've still succeeded. The the deck was stacked against you, and you still found success in this life. And you've maintained, even more importantly, a soft, loving, faithful heart. I have grown in the depth of my respect and admiration for all of you who persevered. You deserve to be honored and respected, and I love you to death. Now I want to ask everyone's forgiveness. And this is for me, especially for my black brothers and sisters. Forgive my ignorance. My ignorance of the system that, that continues being racist and kind of putting roadblocks in front of people. Forgive me for, for not knowing and being ignorant of the experience of your daily life. I'm learning. I'm growing. I've got a long ways to go, but I'm committed to educating myself more so I can fulfill the law of Christ and help you carry those burdens. Forgive me for my lack of love, my lack of empathy, my my dullness, my hardness of heart, and my slowness. Slowness to ask questions, to have honest and real conversations. I'm so convicted. I desperately want to be close to you. I desperately want to understand and know you, and I want you to feel a sincere love for me. And I want to love you and everybody who feels marginalized. And I love the verse in 1 John 3, because I want to love you this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. To use a cultural term, I am your ally. But more importantly than that, to use a God term, I am your brother. I am willing to lay my life down for you and for our church family. I'm still learning what that means and what that looks like. But my time and my voice and my energy and my privilege and my resources are yours. Because I want to live a life worthy of the calling I have received. I hope you do too. And I'm committed to being humble and gentle as we navigate this time together. And I want to thank you for your patience with me and others like me. And I want to thank you for bearing with me in love. And together, let's make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. I love you. And I'm going to turn it over now to our dear sister, Lola Brown. Thank you. Um... Can you hear me? Yeah. So um, thanks so much, Rick. Um, And thank you for um, just everything you shared. I'm really grateful to hear your heart. And I'm grateful that, you know, clearly the spirit is moving. And for those of you listening, you know, um, be very uh, patient with us because I think the spirit is at work here. And you you may hear um, very similar themes that were not quite you know, plan. So um, I appreciate what Rick shared. There's so much I'm learning about you. And, you know, I know we had an opportunity to talk earlier this week and you shared vulnerably then about how you were feeling and what's on your heart. And it, it makes me feel closer to you. And I feel like God's given us an opportunity to become friends, Rick. Um, and for those who don't know, my name is Lola Brown. I've been in the West uh, side just over a year now. And it's such an interesting time. I've 
personally felt more connected and gotten to know more people in small groups and across our ministries during these COVID times, and now even more so through these past few weeks with increased focus on the struggles um, of Black lives in America, and just given the historical experiences of so many um, in, in this church, which we've, you know, been hearing about. Um, I think it's hard, you know, obviously I know we're still processing everything like, you know, what um, Chuck said and now what Rick is sharing and now what I'll share, you know, it's hard to come on here and speak openly on such a sensitive topic, knowing that we're all processing different things, our worldview, our relationships, our ministry, our church, it makes me worry, you know, and I think we all feel that nervousness that we'll say the wrong thing, that, you know, we'll make the black people, um, the white people upset, the Latino people feel outside the Asians, and every ethnicity I don't mention, you know, I'll hurt someone's feelings or not do someone proud, not make my black and brown brothers know, we see you, I see you, my black women, my sisters know, I hear you. I, I, I feel you, and my elders, like someone getting to know Patricia Butts, do them proud, you know, and who will um, I forget to acknowledge that is feeling anything, and it has a lot of pain or different views, but honestly, personally, what I worry most about right now is um, what is God doing in this moment, what the Spirit is saying in the midst of so much emotion, pain, frustration, hurt, and and for our church, and I'm reminded of this scripture in Galatians 1.10, where it says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. When I became a disciple almost 11 years ago, the kingdom in our family of churches wasn't something I could believe existed here on earth. I was 33 already, successful by, you know, worldly standards, had plenty of opportunity, but I was really lonely and uncertain about some things growing up in a family where no matter what happened, things were going to be okay, but in reality, they never were. And I didn't grow up in a church or religious at all, so what I loved more than anything, and still to do to this day, is when God says in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I revisit this scripture so often because whenever I'm faced with anything here on earth, in this world, I remember God who finally, like someone, tell me the truth. And he told me the truth about the world we live in, and I felt like someone speaks truth. God also showed Things. He gave word as a source of that truth and so much more. A new identity, a refuge in our fellowship. To be honest, these short 10 plus years feels less and less like a refuge. Many of us, including myself, are more hurt by one another than we are in the world. Which, just to be fair, is crushing. This is a world full of loss, darkness, oppression, depression. And injustice. I mean, of course, everything in our society about who we are and how we identify, right? I'm a black woman. In this society, it has a compounding effect. We've heard about it. Due to treatment that many times has made me feel incredibly discouraged, you can ask God, why do you allow this? Why do you, you know, why do people doubt us, distrust us, abuse us, think we're less than, don't work hard enough? I mean, every, personally, every day, as much as people 
look at my professional accomplishments, they don't see how often I work for and with non-black people in our society that are less qualified, that rely on me for tremendous help. They've had less years of experience, you name it. I work in HR. I hear awful things of people being tired of hearing about Black Lives Matter and tired of hearing about injustice. I know it's hard. Um, but there's no doubt, be very clear, it's a lot of it has to do with privilege and unfair advantage many have by not being black or Latino for that matter. But the absolute reality for me and us, for us as disciples is that when I made Jesus Lord of my life, he also gave me a new identity. That has allowed me to deeply believe these words in First Peter begin verse 2. I have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And then in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, you know, um, it goes on to say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I fundamentally believe this, and I believe that I see myself always first as a disciple, no matter who I'm speaking with, no matter how many hundreds of or, you know, why that I coach, I'm someone chosen, adopted, known before I was formed in my mother's womb. Even before I was at a part, like it says in Jeremiah 1.5. Met in this relationship, and I feel of how intentional God has was in making me. It still blows my mind. I can't comprehend it. But it makes me really clear about who I am. I'm a child of God decided to, he decided to have me look like this, like whatever you see on the screen, a black woman. Be clear, but I'm first chosen a disciple of Christ all the time, even when I'm not getting it right, even when someone wants to see me as a black person. I don't let that take away from who I am as a disciple. So over the past few weeks, as everyone has been acknowledging weak, hurting, satin, no longer tolerant of the unjust murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and specifically what we saw after George Floyd's murder, it does seem like finally everyone is talking about what I've always been aware of, these daily lived experience. I'm asked about my hair, when I'm the only back person in the meeting, you know, being in a room, being in an affluent neighborhood. Um, when I lived in Foster City, California, driving, you know, on my birthday, being pulled over, still to this day not knowing why, where the officer insisted I had a drink. But honestly, I went home and I thought nothing of it because that's how common it is. But clearly at times like this, these things come up again, and I'm reminded of them, and they hurt. So that brings us to this moment in our, our fellowship, in our church, where we're asking one another to us, us understand, absorb, acknowledge, care and share in our lived experiences, our pain and hurt, which honestly should be the least we can do as disciples. And what's happening is some of us are even more hurt and more frustrated, more hardened during these past few weeks, even that we're spending time having this conversation. And that deeply breaks my heart. Because this is the family of God, I expect it to be a refuge. What I don't expect is for it to become a place where I longer feel the intimacy and love and support that I personally experienced when I first studied the Bible. I think that's true for many of us. 
and some have shared and trusted these similar feelings to, um, just here in this time. We all lack, to some degree, this deep connection as one body, as we keep hearing. So I think it's like, you know, we say like that song where we've lost our, we've lost that loving feeling or forgotten our first love. I, in 1 Peter 2.4, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but again chosen by God and pressed to him, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In scripture it says, see I lay a stone Zion, a chosen and precious stone, and the one who trusted will never be the same. I know that language, emotion, and hurt and anger is failing us right now. But this is who we are, living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And that blows my mind. That gives us emotional stamina to, to, to deal with what we're seeing and experience different than the world does. Trust, trusting in a God who says we will never be put to shame. So these ideas of white guilt and shame is not a spiritually mature response when we sit in it because we've already been set free. I, I, I know that what God wants from us is brokenness in our heart. That's what he desires. That's Psalm 5117. But I encourage us not to sit in the guilt because we've already been free. Jesus paid that sacrifice for us. So it's sad. I don't believe seeing anyone cry out of shame and, and is what any of us wants to feel. I don't want to see that. And if we are more focused on our identity, no matter what our race is, I truly, personally believe we will have the right type of indignation rather than shame. Defined as anger or annoyance at injustice. I think we want to be unified in that. Not, not like, it, it, it doesn't help. I don't feel good when I see a disciple, regardless of their race, you know, feeling this sense of like, that's not, I believe, what we should experience in the kingdom. I think we've been, we have to be willing to talk about the hard things, wrestle with our different opinions and views and stages of process and find our way to healing. We have to detach from this idea that we should resolve as the world has, expecting our white brothers and sisters to automatically get what some of us ourselves are still learning, processing and healing of, not just white brothers and sisters. I don't think it's a right expectation for anyone to have to validate what we, as black people, Latino people, people that are underserved, know is true in the world. There is hate and a society built on systemic racism. I fervently, fervently believe that is true, but I believe biblically the expectation is to see an area of our hearts where we haven't acknowledged this, we've dismissed this, this impact to black and brown and other underrepresented individuals in our society that we ignore, in our church, they're burdened beyond the daily troubles, and I think Rick already shared them, so I'll, I'll skip that. But I think these are things that are amplified in black, Latino, and many communities where historically opportunity and equality weren't built in their favor. The word of God teaches us in 1 Peter 2.16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And I believe this means we have to be equipped to hear each other and act against injustice or evil. 
The world uses the word ally, but honestly, first it's just examining our hearts like we've heard and having others help us, being open with what is there, where is there any sin of commission or omission, and then repenting and turning to God, changing. That's what allyship looks like, I think, in the kingdom. We will make mistakes. We'll say the wrong thing. We'll stumble through our words. Make, But I think what we have to do is make those mistakes, but actively listen and just sit and hear each other. Something that our sister Patricia Butts can say, you know, this is this is something she, she shared, active listening. Um, you might say to someone, if you're looking for practicals, I'm not sure how to bring this up, and I may not understand, but I heard about what's going on in or I, I'm, I'm, I don't understand. I can't imagine how you're feeling. I want to check in. I want to talk if you want. I'll, I'll quickly show some more practical then. I believe that's what being a biblical ally looks like is really just laying down your life. It's been dared. It's being sacrificial. It's giving up something, your time, your opinion. You're judging for people who have not made Jesus Lord of their lives. Not judging a world of people who we know are righteous, like all people are like grass. Like there's no expectation that we have to evaluate whether someone had a record or not. And for those who have Jesus Lord of their lives, we have to suspend that same judgment. Those who are marginalized, hurting, we have to show demonstrative love to people and build that capacity. It may look like, as another practical, acknowledging things you may see going forward, I know favoritism, race, race, relationships, affiliation in the church can make many of us feel left out. It doesn't sometimes feel like someone really wants to get to know you. We're cordial, which is not loving each other deeply. You know, if you've joined like the church, you know, if someone's joined a church in the past year, text them, say, I want to know you, know your story. If they're in another ministry, you can meet together and then 20 minutes each just sharing a part of your lives. And you don't have to say anything. Tell me something about your life, your upbringing. If you're the, in the, um, you think about friends in your past, you may see treatment going forward. Certain people, we have to find courage to gently correct or rebuke behavior that's unloving. I fear speaking all the time. I fear not doing God proud, letting people down, not letting someone feel like they are creation of, like God, who God created, and not feeling and being able to see their love through me as a Christian. I'm more worried about what Christians might think if I love someone who I already know is lost than I am of, like, worrying about other things. It's hard. So leveraging and using whatever resources you have, privilege, advantage you have to build up hurting communities, other tips, helping to fund and build diverse books and libraries and schools so they have their diverse, historically correct curriculum, reviewing the curriculum if you're in education or on volunteer, making calls to companies, a fan of Lego, you know, who may not have enough brown figurines. Um, it will, you know, you might examine the policing laws in your community, go to town hall meetings. We don't have to be pacifists. We don't have to cover up evil. We don't have to be political. It will look different for each one of us. And I think we have to be patient with one another to figure out what that is, and we won't get there overnight. I think it goes back to starting with loving each other deeply, learning to love each other through this will impact the way 
we help people, they will know us by our love for one another. This is what it means when the word says love covers a multitude of sins. So the hardest part of this is asking ourselves, are we willing to emotionally and spiritually increase our capacity to love, walk through each other's lives, view and understand each other's heart's pain, and be a part of one another's healing, no matter what side of this you're on. In a world that will never be what we have in the kingdom, can we be a true refuge that really sees and values each one of us across ministries, across marriage, and treats each other as equals, across age, includes one another. When you, when you see someone you don't know, say, I'd really like to get to know you. That's what makes this a refuge. And I'll end with Psalm 62, 8, that says, trust him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. So, first of all, this is our, our beautiful new team, us working here. We took this photo really quick if you guys want to see what that looks like last night. Um, <laughs> um, this is, this is I don't even know if it's safe to say United Kingdom, I mean, the United, <laughs> United Nations anymore, sorry. Um, I, I, a lot of people ask for practicals. I'll show you a couple of slides and we can figure out how to send these out. I don't want to tell with people what not to say. You can engage in, in this work is sensitive. You're going to make mistakes. I don't think in the kingdom we should be afraid to make mistakes. After all, we have Christ. So err on the side of being vulnerable and humble, saying I'm uncomfortable, even afraid, but I want to hear you. Talk, be patient and gentle. I think Rick said the same thing. Um, both when reaching out, but also when someone reaches out to us. Here's a kind of guidelines that we'll find a way to share. Seeking first to understand. Speaking to communicate, not to convince. Listen to be changed. Take a breath. Suspend judgment. Resist, claim, shame, or attack. Say, ooh, like, ouch. Find a way to, do, to, to acknowledge that. Balance listening and talking. For, for many who say, I don't know what to say, you can take a picture of this slide and say, um, hey, I heard about whatever, any challenge that's happening, you know, the police brutality in Hong Kong, the coronavirus disparately, you know, about George Floyd's murder, about Elijah McCain, it was really upsetting. I just want to check on you. Um, I'm not sure how to bring this up, and I may not understand. I think that you can have it delivered or drop off a meal or a card and say, here's one less thing you have to worry about today while we work on these hurts in our ministry and injustice in the world together. And then lastly, this idea of what can we do to move forward in actions, you know, um, it goes back to, you know, getting to know people, making maybe you do or see different treatment. Um, and finding the way to, uh, to encourage and gently correct or review. So I'll stop sharing, but we'll find a way to share those. It's good to see you all, even though I can't see you all. I can only see a bunch of you sort of at a time. Uh, and I want to give a shout-out to the uh, setup and worship crew. That's we, I miss you guys. I miss being with you every week. And hopefully we'll be able to 
get back together at some point in the near future. So, uh, great stuff tonight. Um, you know, I thought after the last three weeks, tonight would be sort of not as good. You know, sort of, okay, we've had three weeks of this. What more is there to say? But I think um, uh, Rick and Lola really, really uh, spoke truth and uh, shared their hearts. And um, I liked some of the things that they were talking about. I like what Lola was saying about, you know, our new identity in Christ. And I even feel like even as we have a new identity in Christ, it's almost as if God at this point in our history is giving our church, our sector, a new identity by shaping us and helping us understand the sin of racism and how it affects us. So that's that's a big one. That's a big one. I appreciated uh, Rick sharing and and uh, being honest about where he's been. I I come from white privilege as well, um, so I'm I'm learning as well just how deeply these things affect you know my uh, brothers and sisters of color, and um, you know that that's that's hard. And like Rick said, it's uncomfortable sometimes to have those conversations, but we need to have them, and I need to have them. And I look forward to having them. So I I wanted to just talk a little bit about where we're at. I really appreciated the practicals from Lola. I think that's fantastic. I I was wanting that. I was like, okay, what what tell me what to do? I mean, it's not that I couldn't figure out some things to do, but what can we do? What should we do? So the practicals were great, and I hope we can distribute those. And I love the idea, uh, Lola, that you had about the church being a refuge. And it should be a refuge. And it is a refuge, but it should always be a refuge. Now, it's not going to be perfect, obviously, because we're sinners. But it should be a refuge. And part of making the church a refuge is, is being able to have conversations like this, like we've been having for the last three weeks. And... You know, being humble and gentle and patient with each other as we figure out how to talk about this stuff. And I got to tell you, I was hurt and disappointed last week and the week before about how few of our white brothers and sisters shared during the discussion time. And it was it was surprising to me that more of our white brothers and sisters didn't didn't comment or share, and I, I, I was scratching my head. Um, I think our black brothers and sisters need us now. They need to know we're on their side, and we are on your side, and we're going to stay on your side. So for whatever that means, kind of like what Rick said, to die for you, we're going to be on your side. So I hope in our discussion tonight we can open that door. And if you, even if, like Lola said, you don't know what to say, you can lead with that. Just share some of the things you're thinking and feeling. But uh, So I'm going to leave it at that. A lot has been said. You don't need to hear it again from me. 
So let's have some great discussions. I'll turn it back to Chuck or whomever.